listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. And to a, to a calm, non-confrontational, <laughs> warm, fuzzy episode of Humanize Me with, with, with my old buddy, John Wright. Hey, Bart. Hey, John. So I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but not really. <laughs> I, I, I there is less you, conflict this week on the show. There, there's going to be less conflict. Um, there's, there's somebody not, there's somebody not calling in this week. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been an amazing time for me. I mean, you know, obviously this is a, a bizarre and amazing time for everybody in the world at the same time. Um, but the, the, the aftermath of the last two episodes of Humanize Me have been fairly profound, at least in yeah. my life. You know, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever gotten more response to any, any episode, anything I've ever done. Right. You know, yeah, we've, and, we've never had an episode of, of this podcast in what, four or five years that, that generated so much mail in response, like just a ton of feedback for, and from so many points of view. Yeah. I was just I, I, over lunch. I, I, I said something to Marty about it and she said, I can't believe how many of my friends have told me people. She had no idea they ever listened to the podcast. They were like, <laughs> they, they, they've called and said, whoa, that episode with <laughs> <Right>. Roman. <laughs> what about that? Um, so, so the, and, and we'll talk about that, you know, but I, I think that the first thing I want to say before we say anything else is thank you to everybody who took the time to, to not just listen, but to respond. And in many cases to respond at length, thoughtfully with resources and ideas and suggestions and encouragement and comfort. Like Right. And people I, wrote at length. Yeah. You know, some people really took the time to, to write like an entire letter. Yeah. And so, I mean, honestly, at the end of this episode on, you know, at the very end, I, I'm not going to do it at the beginning because nobody would ever get to anything else. But at the end, I'm going to thank everybody who who wrote, or at least as many of them as I as I have I have listed because I've answered a bunch. I'm still not even I'm not I haven't been able to answer them all because I try to answer people thoughtfully and 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 individually. And there's just it's I just been swamped. So, right. but I'm going to thank people at the end by name because you know we thank. We thank people that sponsor the podcast financially um, because they're part of it. They're part of what makes it happen. They're part of what makes it it better and, and enable us to kind of hopefully do work that makes other people's lives better. And so we're grateful for that. But I got to tell you, all these people taking the time to write in, you're making the podcast better too. And, and that's a huge contribution and that's a huge gift. And- so yeah, we're going to thank everybody at the end of the show, um, by name, but, uh, but there is one person I do want to thank by name at the beginning of the show. 
because the first email I got after this episode dropped was from Michael Dowd himself. (laughs) I was surprised to see that email, by the way. Well, I wasn't surprised that he wrote. As soon as I saw his name come up on the screen, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't call him. I didn't warn him. I didn't, I just, I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't even think to do that. Like, I just, I just put on my son who he doesn't even know saying horrible things about him. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I just felt like such a jerk. And so when I saw it, I, I assumed he was going to be like, hey, you know, fuck you. And right. the horse you rode I in on. I never want to talk to you yeah. ever again. And thanks for yeah. having me on your podcast <laughs> and then like trashing me the next week. And right. instead, instead, well, I showed it to you, but here's what, I'll read it. Okay. Yeah. Here's what it says. Hold on, I'm shifting. Bart, deep gratitude to both of you for inviting, receiving, recording, and making Roman's scathing critique of our conversation public. And deep gratitude to Roman for his brutal clarity and important, though painful to hear at times, judgments of me and us. Time will tell, of course, but my hunch is that my tones of voice and ways of being in future interviews will never be the same thanks to this episode. Love, Michael. (laughs) You know, in terms of gracious, kind, understanding responses, I, 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 I I don't think I've ever gotten an email like that. Where somebody who I think had the right to be furious with me and us for blindsiding him instead responded with, with, with understanding and kindness and even gratitude for the challenge. Yeah. That's, it's remarkable, isn't it? Yeah. No, I, 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 I wrote back to him and told him, you know, I, I, I will never forget receiving that email. Because, I mean, you know what it's like when you see a phone message or an email and all of a sudden it dawns on you, you're like, oh, no, oh, I'm going to get, I'm going to get creamed right. here and I deserve to get creamed. Right, right. I mean, a number of the emails that I got from listeners, that was, that was their concern. They were like, hey, that wasn't very fair. You didn't give Michael Dowd a chance to defend himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he and I have corresponded a bit since then, and he sent me a bunch of resources. And he said, hey, I still think I'm right on the facts. And I've, he's like, I'm not some, you know, like, you may not be fully educated on this stuff, but I am. I've, I've spent the last eight years, you know, 20 or 30 hours a week studying and, and, and talking to people about this stuff. He's like, I know what I'm talking about. He's like, I'm not sorry about that. He said, but, but he was like, my tone was way off. And yeah, uh, both, both you and him saw the tone issue afterwards. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I, I had a, I had a small interaction with Michael Dowd too, where I just sort of thanked him for coming on the podcast. And I said, uh, I hope you don't regret it now. And he said, no, I don't regret it with a big exclamation point at the end. Um, he said, Roman's quote, blistering critique was precisely what I needed at this time. 
and uh, uh, you know he, he he wants to continue in dialogue. So I, I yeah, I'm very impressed with the way um, both you and Michael Dowd were able to handle receive criticism. Well, and I'll tell you as I as I as I got all these emails, it was so interesting because they're all over the map. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think we've ever had an episode. First of all, that generated so much mail, right? But also that was so polarizing. Some people completely took yours and Michael's side and thought Roman was way out of line for his tone and the way he came at you. And and other people totally got it and they loved the episode with Roman. There were a good few people who called it the best episode ever. Oh yeah. And so and, and other I mean, people it's wrote all over the map. And other people wrote and said the Dowd episode made me sad. The Roman episode made me sadder. Like the like right, this, right. this was tough listening. I usually love this podcast. I, I, I'm scared to open up the next episode. Um, right. A, a bit of everything. Now, would you say that there was a preponderance of one or the other? Because I wouldn't. I, I think like every, every time I see a new piece of feedback about those two episodes, there's no predicting what, the, what it's going to say. The one thing that was fairly predictable or, uh -huh. or that I got a preponderance of is whatever people thought of the ideas – they appreciated the 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 way in which the conversation. I, I, it's hard to say. What they appreciated was that we were able to 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 really disagree and not have it ever seem like we didn't love each other. And right, you know, so one guy wrote and said, "Gosh, I." I so wish I could disagree with my parents that way. Yes. Um, you know, I wish, I wish, I wish we had, you know, and a lot of people wrote and said like, I don't know what else, you know, I don't know about all these, all this end of the world stuff. I don't know all about this hope stuff, but um, you did a good job of raising a kid that feels comfortable talking to you. Right. <laughs> and and right. I, th I think for a lot of people, that was the overall, like that was the thing that struck out most was, mm -hmm. um, the ability to not just listen, but also like, you know, to change your mind. And, and it reminded me when I was at USC, I had this very sciencey student once. Um, and I was talking to him and I said, what's like, what experience do you love most in life? And he, he paused and he said, changing my mind. He said, or, or, and then he paused. He said, actually having my mind changed. He said that experience when you're fighting against an idea and you think it's wrong. And then all of a sudden you see it and you're like, oh, I was wrong. He said, right. there's nothing more exciting to me <laughs> than changing my, my mind. It, it gives me so much joy. And I thought, golly, that, that's so the opposite of the way many people approach being challenged or, 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 or being proven wrong. It's devastating. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I, I always remembered that and I thought, man, that's who I want to be. That's who I'm trying to be. I want to be somebody who's thrilled to have my mind changed because what it means is that I'm, I'm growing and I'm getting better and I'm figuring stuff out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, well, I mean, and, and, and I gave my compliment during the episode, but I do think that that's a valuable thing. I was trying to explain this to someone the other day who had listened to it and they said, wow, you know, I don't know what I think about this. 
And I said, well, try this on for size. You know, I would love it if Tyler were able to challenge me the way Roman challenged you. And I like that he didn't hold any punches. I like that, you know, I mean, it's very, I think that is very much a style thing. I don't know. And there were points, of course, uh, it's not the only um, Campolo father-son conversation that I've kind of produced and curated, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how, but how is your dad handling this whole time? And what are his views? Does, uh, is he aware of this conversation that happened between you and Roman? You know, that's the weirdest thing, John, is to my knowledge, my dad's never listened to one episode of this show. Mm -hmm. which is weird to me. I can't imagine my son or anyone in my family doing anything that I wouldn't want to at least dip in and, and, and check it out. And, and sometimes I'll ask him about it and he'll say, oh yeah, I don't really know how to use those podcast things. And I'm thinking like, it's not that difficult. Like if you really <laughs> wanted to figure it out, I think you could manage it. Um, <laughs> Maybe he doesn't want to. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, and it's so weird to me. I, I, you know, um, but I mean, I, years ago, I stopped even even suggesting it to him. You know, mm -hmm. um, it, it kind of hurts my feelings. Um, yeah, just not 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 that he would necessarily have to agree with anything or disagree with anything, but just you know. But no, he's he he has no i like I don't think he has any idea that conversation ever took place. Mm -hmm. Which you know, so he'd be fascinated. I think he'd be fascinated to hear it. Oh, I do too. I do too. You know, and back in the <laughs> yeah. day, he, I mean, he wrote the foreword to Michael Dowd's book, uh, Thank God for Evolution. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I mean, he knows Michael. I didn't know that connection. From back, okay. You know, okay. from 25, 30 years ago. Yeah. So it's just- Interesting. It, yeah. But uh, but no, I, I mean, I'm so, the, the responses were all over the map, but there was one, most people liked that. Although a number of people, like I had one of my good friends who grew up in Texas, she said, you know, the Southern girl in me just hated to hear- a son be that to speak disrespectfully to his father that way. That's where that's why I'm saying I think this is very cultural in some ways. The pe people's response to this, you know, I yeah. mean, yeah, it's just so interesting. You know, John Haidt, Jonathan Haidt wrote that book, The Righteous Mind, and mm -hmm. in it he talked about these kind of gut level, evolutionarily developed um, kind of priorities or values that we have. And one of them was respect for authority. Um, yeah. And, and another one was purity, you know, and, and, and there were reasons why people cared about purity, like survival skill stuff. There's a reason that's embedded deep in us. And, and, and we all care about those things to, whether it's freedom, respecting authority, um, you know, purity or, or we all we all we all value them in different in different measures yes. and um yeah i think i think for some people they're like for some people it's just too painful to hear anyone speak that way i i said something to i i read one of the notes to marty and she she said well they're an idiot anyone that says anything negative about my son is an idiot because they were saying like, you know, and I said, but she, she said, but she said, the thing is, is that they, you know, if, if you were around our family, you would know that in a conversation like that, there, there's not as much risk, you know? Well, I, I, I think the way I put it is there's, there's no peril involved in absolute blunt speaking, you know, like just 
here's exactly what I think, completely authentically in the raw from my brain to yours, you know, from my, <laughs> to, to your ears. You, you know? know, here's one and, thing that was interesting though, John, when you talk yeah. about absolute, I got a number of notes from people that I know um, who said, you pulled your punches. Did you? And I, I thought about that. And I thought, I don't know if I did consciously. I mean, we, 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 we talked on the show about the, my tendency to kind of get in alignment with whoever's on the show and, mm -hmm. and, and, and to try to draw them out that way. I'm not, but I think in this case, um, when somebody I feel like has me on the big point, uh, you know, like your tone is off and the way you're talking isn't helpful and I embrace that big point, I'm less prone to fight back on the parts where I'm right. Like once I, once I know I'm wrong on the big point, um, I, don't, I don't need to like win, win back points. Um, I'm more interested in exploring how I can fix that thing. And so I understand why people thought that I pulled punches. And, and some of the, it's, it's funny, the, the people that told me that I, I pulled punches are some of the smartest people I know. Um, and I think that they were like, look, there was more to be said. And, and you, weren't, you weren't all On the way- your part. Yeah, you weren't all the way wrong. And you're not all the mm -hmm. way wrong. And, and, and I thought, yeah, you know, but in any given conversation, sometimes, sometimes, you talk about 50 things in a conversation, but there's one thing that five years later you go, that's what that conversation was about. Mm -hmm. Like, oh yeah, remember when we were in the mountains at that cabin and you told me that you thought I could be a better listener than I am. And that's, you know, and you say, well, we talked about everything. We talked about the ball game. We talked about the food. We talked about your mother. Yeah, yeah, but that's what I took away from it. And so I think for me, Sometimes when I know what the big takeaway is, I let the other stuff go. Right, right. Because um, I know that there'll be another conversation to, to, to revisit that. And that's when Michael, when Michael wrote back to me, he also said, hey, if you want to keep educating yourself, here's some stuff you ought to check out. Like, it's not like Michael, when saying this is going to change me, was going like, I think I'm wrong about, you know, the, 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 the direction or, or, or the dangers of human civilization. I think what he was saying is, um, hey, that was really helpful. And, you know, here's some stuff you should think about. Right. And lots of people sent me stuff. I mean, I'm going to be, I got a lot to read right now. I mean, I think one of the things too is that uh, there's a style thing that goes on where people are either going to be entertained greatly by hearing such a raw conversation like that, or they're going to be you know, trauma, you know, almost like it, it, it lands in their brain in a traumatic way, almost. They just want to get away from it. Um, I'm the former, right? Like sure. I, I listened to that and I, and I could tell you were too. There was, there were parts of Roman's, you know, rant that we were both laughing at in the moment because, uh, you know, we, I think we share that, that sense of style. But another part of it is that this podcast Every podcast has a certain sound, a certain a certain uh, tone of its own, and both Michael and Roman, but especially Roman, disrupted that tone. Now, I personally love that, but I understand why people 
especially maybe in this time, weren't necessarily served by, you know, one or the other, even yeah, if they found it entertaining, which I think many people did. Yeah, I think a lot of people wrote to me and said, like, I come to this podcast looking for something. I, I like almost like I go yes. I go to the liquor store looking for beer. I go to the drugstore looking for pharmaceuticals. I go to this podcast looking for something in particular. And that what was on the shelf those two days those two weeks was not what I usually get there. Right. And, right. And John, that was the other thing. I got a lot of people. Remember when I used that phrase stay in my lane? Mm-hmm. And I sort of like I felt people like people hated that. Some people hate some people were like I think that's great that you're concentrating on what you're good at. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. You should do that. And then other people are like, who the hell is anybody to tell you to stay in your lane? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, and, you know. That was one of the areas you um, deferred to Roman that that a lot of people felt that you shouldn't. Have. Right. My, fr and yeah. my, my friend Rich, uh, uh, who I used to work with, um, again, one of the smarter people I know. And, uh, and Rich said, you know, staying in your lane is not how people grow. You're always telling people to grow. You know, you don't grow by always, only doing the thing you're already good at. You grow by trying to do new things. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. So, that, I mean, we, I guess we're getting meta here because we're having an episode about another episode that was about another episode. Um, <laughs> so, we need to stop. But, uh, but for all, again, at the end, I'll read the names. But, man, if you took the time to write in, A, I, we, like, we read it. And, and I'm thinking about it and I still haven't landed on everything. I'm, um, but I, I will tell you this is ever since that conversation, I am incredibly focused right now on what I should do and what my role is in this moment, but especially in the moment when people are allowed to come out of their houses and they walk out of their houses and into the world that's very different. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really doing a lot of thinking about, okay, what, what's, what's my contribution? Like, where do I, what am I going to do? And how, right. am, so, how so yeah, this, this is great. Cause one thought that I've had Bart is about your email blast that you sent out. Um, and there, there's a sentence in there. By the way, if people want to get that, they can go to bartcampolo.org and you can actually sign up on the, the right-hand side and get those emails if you're not already getting them. But um, there's a sentence in there that I think sums a lot of it up for me. You said, given my many ruminations on dire possibilities these past 20 years, you'd think I'd have figured out what kinds of conversations my loved ones, including all of you, would most need from me when the going really got rough. And this is my biggest takeaway, I think, because if you leave aside the whole stay in your lane thing, I mean, because I think your lane is a wide one and you can speak to lots of important issues in the world very valuably, but your ruminations on this stuff in particular didn't actually help you or prepare you very well when the crisis came down on us. It, it kind of seems to have paralyzed you, if that makes sense. And I don't know, that's not to say anything at all about the content or, uh, or, or truth value of that, of that stuff, but it's more just in this moment, what, what we're doing, what you're doing in the world, uh, I, I, it, it doesn't seem to have prepared you for this moment in the way that you would have probably hoped. 
it would have, you know? Yeah. And, and like it, like my ruminations, they did not prepare me, but like, you know, I got to take some responsibility. Like I didn't, I didn't connect the dots and go, okay, when that happens, I, what will I do? What's my role? Right, right, right. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, no, that, it's that, it's almost right. like I was writing a movie, but I didn't write a character. I didn't write myself into it. And, and that's now, so interesting. And now I'm really sort of thinking, you know, okay, what, what is the role of a local community builder? I mean, you know, I, I, it gets down to this very basic level is, um, like I just imagine with 22 million people out of work at last notice, mm-hmm. I would imagine that when this thing, when people are finally able to come out, I mean, probably already people are in the state, but there are a lot of people who are not eating as well as they should be, that they don't have access to, to good food, but also, you know, there are people that maybe relied on on restaurants or relied on going out or relied on having a certain income and being able to afford certain things. And I was thinking, you know, Marty and I, all through our lives, we've run conferences, we've run local communities, we've run stuff. So we've cooked for 40 or 50 people at a time, loads. Like I used to make that dinner for the kids at USC, 50 people right. coming to dinner. And, mm-hmm. um, and you learn some things about cooking for a lot of people. And one of the things that you learn is that you can cook certain kinds of things, soups, stews, um, things that you serve over rice, for a lot of people, really cheap. And that you can also buy sort of bruised vegetables and, bru- you know, like slightly distressed stuff. And when you chop up, you chop off the bad stuff and like, and you put it in a soup, it doesn't matter. So I've been thinking, huh. I've always wanted to, you know, Marty and I have kicked around the idea of running a restaurant or a cafe at some point. And I don't think we'll ever do, you know, like the last thing the world needs right now is, a, is another restaurant. <laughs> um, but I can imagine running a good soup kitchen and like mm. a dignified, like not a soup kitchen just for down on their luck people, but like a takeout soup kitchen that said, hey, if you want to eat with people, great, we're here. And if yeah. you want to come by and get a gallon of soup, that you can take home and feed your family, um, and it, and 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 some good bread. Um, you pay as you go, like pay pay what you can. If you can pay a buck, put in a buck. If you can't pay anything, take it. If you can pay twenty bucks because you got money, but you just didn't feel like cooking tonight, great. You know there have I, I, over the years I've been at a lot of these pay as you go restaurants that are run by nonprofits, mm-hmm. and I thought, huh, I wonder. I, but that's where I'm writing myself into the story where I'm going like, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm saying like too much. Um, I'll <laughs> stop that. But that's where when I write myself into the story and Marty into the story, I think not that I should all of a sudden become somebody I'm not, but I've got this skill. Right. From years of feeding people and of hosting people. And I, I thought, you know, and I can probably convince certain people to donate for that kind of an effort. You know, if they knew that because we were doing it in this very simplistic way, we could feed lots of people for a few bucks. And I could probably galvanize some volunteers to come in and help every night. And, you know, we could probably do it three nights a week. And and it wouldn't change everything for everybody, but it would be a real act of service in our neighborhood. 
Yeah. And so anyway, that's like, that's what that conversation shifted. I love that. It shifted me not to yeah. thinking everything's going to be great. We'll be back to normal by, you know, by summer, but rather right. like I, I can get excited and, and, and even happy about being able to apply myself to the business of loving people in a difference in, 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 in under new circumstances. Right, right. Yeah, and we did that first episode on Caravan, and uh, you know, you guys, you guys doing your first sort of web web stream, yeah, and all of that. And so, yeah, the, all of that stuff is really interesting too. And and we keep doing that. I mean, and it's hard, you know. I mean, once the novelty wears off, it's you know, the Caravan was started by a bunch of people who longed to be back in church-like fellowship, you know, on the other side right. of faith, but they wanted to be a part of a, a, a face-to-face group. And and so it's so ironic. Like I went to grad school because I wanted to get back with real people. I, we started caravans so that I could work with real people. And now I'm going to grad school online and we're doing caravan online and I'm so <laughs> sick of online. Right. I know you're the opposite of an online person. Oh and yet God. there are some people I know who are just like, oh my gosh, this is my moment. Did I tell you, I, I, had, I had a guy who I had a, I had a scheduled Zoom conversation with, and 10 minutes before the Zoom call started, he sent me a text and he said, I still want to meet with you. But he said, could we please do it on telephone? He said, I just can't do another Zoom chat. Yeah, there's so, right, right. It's just wearing people out. Yeah. Or wearing some people out, so. Well, I think, I, I think a lot of, yeah, there are good Zoom calls and bad. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, and and- I, I, it's funny because a friend of mine's a school teacher at, back in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and she actually wrote after the Roman episode and she said what she related to the most was my sense of inadequacy in this moment. Um, and she said, yes, you know, not knowing what, not, not knowing what to do. And she said, I'm a really, and she, I, I've known her for, for you. I mean, we went to high school together and she's an unbelievably good school teacher who gets, who gets great reviews and great results in a very tough school system. Um, and she said, these Zoom things and the, these, the, the, we're not allowed to talk to our students one-on-one. We're only allowed to do it through this online format as groups. And she's like, I'm terrible at it. And she said, I don't feel like I'm go- doing a good job with my students. And she said, I don't feel like I'm really helping my colleagues that much. Like I'm not contributing a whole lot to the discussion. And she said she was lamenting this the other day and her husband who I also went to high school with, um, said, hey, you know what? It's somebody else's time to shine. Right. And I thought, what an incredibly wise and compassionate thing to say to her in that moment. That's wonderful. Yeah. Like you, sh- you know, right. this, this, there are some people who are, who, who are good at this and who are figuring this out and they're, they're thriving in this online space. And, and he's like, Maybe you, you often are the best teacher in the room. Let somebody else be the best teacher in the room. Mm. And I just That's thought, good. I just thought for, for a lot of us who are at the very least slower to adjust than we want to be, I think it's really good to recognize that there are some people that are thriving in this moment or that are rising to the challenge. And, and rather than looking at them and going like, what's wrong with me? I, why can't I be 
you know, sending funny videos to all my friends and, and, you know, writing great poetry and, you know, you know, memorizing entire, entire chapters of books, like, you know, and, and, and we're going like, everyone else is doing so great and I'm sucking rather than saying what's wrong with me. We are just like, Hey, isn't that neat? This is their time to shine. Right, right, right. No, that's really, that's really, really good. I have a friend who at 5 PM every day, He's in this Zoom room, no matter who else is going to be there. But it's sort of an open invite to friends and friends of friends. So it's sort of like virtual happy hour, right? Yeah. And at you know at five p.m. every day he's there. And the other day I was driving and I just dialed into it. Um. And it I, I, and. It, I, it's just a nice, it, there, so I, I sort of, I wish I had thought of that, you know, like I, <laughs> I wish I had sort of put my technological prowess to better use. And I wonder too, like, is, is, are you frustrated? Is that, is, is the overarching emotion you feel frustration with yourself in a moment like that because when, when it sort of exposes your weaknesses or is it more just like well I, I guess what, what do you feel it's funny that was a good counselor move there they, they tell you don't give people binary questions right right um, right right I, you know I, I've been disappointed because with myself because I, I think of things, I think of people that I should be calling and 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 things I should be doing that I, I, I'm just not that motivated to do, or that I don't seem to, I don't seem to have the energy to do. Um, so I'm, I'm, in some ways, I've been disappointed with myself, but in other ways, I'm thinking, hey man, this is going to be a while. Like instead of beating yourself up for for not being faster, like you know. Slow and steady wins the race. Like fig, you'll you'll figure it out, and mm -hmm. I, I feel like I am slowly figuring it out. That's um, good. That's good. And and the other thing is, is I feel like there's going to be many phases of this, and this everybody's sheltering at home, trying to figure out how to encourage people at a long distance. It's an important phase, but then there's going to come another phase. Like it, it's. Because when they open for business, I don't know if you've been studying what's been going on in the news lately, but you know they're talking about partially reopening the economies of different states, and there's you know yeah everything at different times and in different phases. Yeah, and any way you slice it, it's going to be weird, yes. and it's going to benefit some people more than other people, and you know almost almost certainly there's going to be a spike in people getting sick. You, you know, I mean, there's, that's the trade-off that's going to have to happen is, you know, I was listening to Sam Harris talking to his buddy, Paul Bloom, uh, the, this morning and, and they were, you know, they were sort of saying that people say you can't put a price tag on human life. And they're like, we do it all the time and we're going <laughs> to do it right here. We're going to right. open things knowing that more people will get sick and more people will die, but that on the, on the flip side, there would be people getting sick and dying if we don't reopen. That we're we're we're, yeah, we're trading I mean, stuff off. That's it. That's right. One of my frustrations from the beginning of this has been how people tend not to consider the the downside of one over the other. Even if you choose one, 
I think you should acknowledge the downside of of that choice and the trade-off that you are making, right? So like in this in this situation, yeah, we're going to open up again slowly and in phases and you try to do it carefully and you try not to see too much of a spike, but yeah, some more people will get sick in that process and you just have to decide I think what is the greater good. Yeah, or and, the lesser evil. And we do it all the time. I and mean, you and I were joking about like I remember during the energy crisis when I was a kid, the highway, the speed limit on major highways was on some highways 75 or 80 miles an hour. And then they all of a sudden across the, unilaterally across the country dropped it to 55. And one of the byproducts of dropping in order to save, save energy, save, save fuel, right. fuel economy. But one of the byproducts was like, I think there were like 50,000 less highway deaths, you know, as a result of people slowing down. Then the crisis eased and they were like, well, we're going to go back to 75 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour. And they, and every, everyone agreed. Everyone's like, yep, you know, it's really irritating to go that slow. And I, I you know, I don't know. I, I really want to get, I want to get there. And, and you go, like, people are going to die. And they're like, yeah. Well, that's true, but probably won't be me. And but, but the idea the idea that we that we don't put price tags on on human value on human lives and on values uh, qualities of human lives we always have and we always will. And this and and coming out of this, one of the things I was thinking of is when I read old westerns, Louis L'Amour westerns of people living out on the open range in, in, you know, mm -hmm. in the early days of, of the West, it was dangerous. You know, if, if you got bit by a snake, there was no ambulance that was going to come. You know, you, 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 you dealt with it or you died. And people, infant mortality, all these things were much higher. It was a dangerous way of life, but people like that was their life. And now, we came up with all these ways of making life safer and we adjusted to that. But if life gets unsafer, more unsafe, people will adjust to that. And they'll say, you know, do you want to go to the movie? I don't know. How good a movie is it? Because, <laughs> you know, because like it's more dangerous to go to the movies now than it used to be. But like, right. I'll do it for that Star Wars movie that looks great on the big screen. But for that, that drama, I think I'll stay home for that one and watch it on on, on my on my TV, and they'll just adjust and they'll and they'll calculate their decisions differently. Yeah, I do think there are going to be some some different things. I mean, already you know, with the masks thing in public, you know, the irony of the masks thing is you and I had a conversation about that way before the coronavirus came to America on this podcast. Do you remember that? I was going on a flight. Yeah, and yeah you yeah. were telling me. Right. Yeah. And uh, the the irony there is, I mean, I guess it's going to be interesting to see whether masks end up being a, a a permanent feature of life in some ways, not in this, not not to the level that they are now, but just that it maybe won't be a stigma anymore when maybe someone gets sick and they want to keep. I, I have a an Asian friend who was telling me that the philosophy of the masks is different in the different continents. So like in Asia, it's when someone gets sick, they're protecting others by wearing a mask. Whereas here, 
it tends to be the person is protecting themselves by wearing a mask from getting sick from others. But I think, um, I think that's going to change. I mean, I think people are, I mean, I know that when I put on a mask now, I'm much more aware than I ever was that this is not about protecting me, but that's about keeping whatever is inside of me from just being shot out there. Mm. I mean, that's, that's yeah. really the main value of wearing masks at this stage in the game. Yes. Unless you're wearing an N95 and you're in a hospital. Whether people know it or not, though, I mean, some some people, I think they wear the mask, you know, essentially for self-centered reasons. Not that that's, you know, a, a bad thing necessarily. No. And, but, uh, and, you know, it's funny. I went to, um, Marty and I went to a, a, the Home Deep, no, Lowe's. We went to Lowe's the other day. Mm -hmm. And we went actually, at one point we went and it was very, we, we were in the parking lot and we watched people walk in. Nobody masked. Nobody gloved. Pe mm -hmm. pe and I just thought, this is not a safe crowd. And we and we went away and we came back. Dude, I did the same exact thing a couple of weeks ago at a Home Depot. I, I went to the Home Depot and I walked in and I didn't like the crowd yeah. and I left. Like I just, I turned around and walked right back out because it didn't seem to me like people were. They weren't. Being, uh, no. Separate enough. I mean, and you know, I don't want to. <laughs> There were a lot of Trump bumper stickers in the parking lot, <laughs> and there were a lot of people not wearing masks uh, inside. I, 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 you know, you do the math. But uh, what I did know was I didn't feel safe, and so we did. We got out of the car. We were masked up and gloved up, and we 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 looked around for about five seconds. We didn't even go in the store. We got back in the car. Yeah. Um, but then we went back. Uh, mm -hmm. At a time, like I did some research on when the fewest people are there. We went back in, and once again on the inside. There were some people that were being very careful and there were other people that were acting as though nothing was going on and, and you kind of had to step aside to get out of their way. Um, but I found that wearing my mask and gloves really did make me conscious, like kept me at a state of consciousness that I just don't think I would be able to maintain if I didn't have those physical reminders to be careful and to stay away from other people. And, yeah. so, and so you know, I, I, I think there's a real value in these things, even if it's not, e e even if it's just in terms of the way it affects our own personal behavior. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what, which of these vestiges of the coronavirus remain. Here's a thought that is very much on my mind right now. And that is, I'm hearing from people who are telling me it's hard for me to be cooped up in a house with somebody wh whose way of processing is very different from my own. That, that, this, that this situation is putting a lot of pressure on relationships that... Yeah. And, and, and you... You know how sometimes there are relationships that work if people are together two or three hours a day, but that wouldn't be able to stand being together 20 or 30, 20 or, 20 or 25, four hours a day, 25 hours a day. Um, that, that this is putting a lot of pressure on relationships. Parents um, are being asked to educate their kids or being asked to entertain their kids in ways. And they're like, I'm really a good parent for like, you know, between the time they get home from school and the time I put them to bed. But like, you're asking a little bit much to stretch this out. And so I think that there are a lot of people that 
are finding themselves relationally challenged right now. And I think it's a really good question what to do when this is happening to you. And I don't, and so, you know, you say, well, you know, you need to get out and walk or, you know, read a book or like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what do you do when you realize that a relationship that you're in, an important relationship is going in the wrong direction? The, the, the direction of the curve is not uh, yeah. <laughs> hopeful. That you're in, yeah. you're in a vicious cycle where, you know, right. He withdraws because he feels like she's angry. You know, she, she doesn't open up, so he pulls back. And when he pulls back, she becomes let even more justified in not opening up. And it, like it's cycling towards a we don't talk to each other anymore, or it's cycling towards we fight a lot, or it's cycling towards the we haven't had sex in you know since this thing started, but we but mm-hmm. but we're not going to talk about it. It's too embarrassing. You know, like, what do you do when your relationship is going in a bad direction? And like, there are 15 different permutations of what a relationship going in a bad direction looks like. Right, right. But I guess the larger question that I'm asking is, what do people do when they see the trend going somewhere? Um, And when, when they... And I, I think in some ways, have you ever heard that expression? There's two kinds of people. <laughs> like, and 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 you know, there are seven thousand. There are two kinds of people. You know, <laughs> people that, <laughs> you know, people that people that separate the world into into categories and people that don't. You know, like they're, 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 <laughs> in this case, I think there are two kinds of two kinds of people. There are people who. bury the problem and don't and think like if i leave it alone and don't think about it and don't talk about it maybe it'll go away and just distract and distract or numb or mm-hmm. or you know avoidance avoidance and then there are people that face up to the problem and that doesn't necessarily mean facing up to the person and saying we've got a problem but it has to do with sort of sitting down and admitting to yourself, this relationship is not going where I want it to go. And thinking about where they wish it was going, why they care about that other person in the first place, what they think might be going wrong, what they think the other person might think might be going wrong, where who they might talk to um, and turn to for some resources, not just to bitch and moan or complain, but who they might go to and say, hey, I really want this relationship to be better than it is right now. I, I don't like what's happening between me and my son. I don't, I, I'm worried about my marriage. I, the, my mother and I are having really bad phone conversations. You know, mm-hmm. I think there are people that lean in and I mean, I hear from a lot of people that write and say, Hey, here's what's going on in my relationship. What do you think? Can you help me? Can you give me some, can you give me some support here? And, um, and, and I, I, I guess right now, I think in this Corona moment, um, 
I, I, in some ways, I, th I think what might be d scary is a lot of people are facing up to the prop that there are problems in the relationship, so the relationships are cracking under the pressure, and they don't they don't necessarily know who they can turn to. Right. And I, I, when you think about facing up to the problem, would you include people who sort of quietly go about fixing it? Um, you know, in other words, like they don't necessarily sit down with the person and have a conversation where they explicitly acknowledge, but they do act. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a form of facing up to it. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing though is unless your behavior is the sole problem in the relationship, mm -hmm. you're not really going to be able to, to mend a relationship or to improve a relationship unilaterally. I mean, right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, you can do some stuff, but yeah, I, I, a lot of times what happens is, is that somebody decides that they're going to fix something without telling the other person, like, I'm just going to be nicer, like, or I'm just going to, you know, yeah. and they show up and they're like, Hey, want to play a game? And the other person's like, no, cause they weren't informed that this was a change in like, they, 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 don't, they don't know what's going on. And they're still in the mode of like, the last time you wanted to do something, it didn't work out very well. Like, I don't trust you. And then the person goes like, damn it. See, I try to do the right thing and it doesn't work. I get that kind of reaction. And they, and so because it wasn't explicit, they don't, and they don't get the response that they were hoping for. Sometimes that, that then they go like, oh, now I'm really done. Right. And so I think it's, yeah. I think sometimes it can be dangerous to subtly try to address a relationship problem. In, ge yeah. in general, I think, I think you're much better off if you've decided to make a change, walking in and saying, hey, I, I don't know if you feel the same way. I, I don't like the way this relationship has been going. Frankly, I, I, I want to do better. I think we can right. do better. And, and, and this is what I'm thinking. Would it help if I did this? That way, then the next, like, would it help if I, you've, you've often said that I don't um, help out in the kitchen. Would it help if I helped out in the kitchen more? And then when they walk into the kitchen, they go like, hey, I'm here. Is there anything I can do? The other person recognizes like, oh, that's Joe trying. Like, like not just that's nice that he, you know, not that's just nice that he's offering help for once for crying. You know, because a lot of times somebody will go like, well. I can't believe you're asking. You never help in the kitchen. You know, what God into you? And it, it drives it drives it right back into the ground. And so I right. think I think it's sometimes when you announce your intention and you talk about it, then when you show up and you do the thing that you said you were going to try to do, the other person recognizes it as an act of love or as an act of a, 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 an act of goodwill. Yeah, but, I can see how in my life I've done. I I, I often utilize both types of intervention and um and you're right i think there is a there is an advantage to being explicit about it i think about my kids you know i was listening to howard stern talk to paul mccartney the other day and he was talking about the early days of the beatles and they were like in their late teens and having a you know a sort of um coming into adulthood kind of, you know in in this very specific context that was really exciting and everything and uh, Howard was saying, like, yeah, I feel so bad for uh, teens and people in their late teens today during this coronavirus and everything. I mean, this is a big moment. Uh, Tyler, my my son, is 17. He has friends that, you know, 
are literally not going to get to go to their graduation, not going to get to go to their prom, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And when you're that age, this is a huge deal. Like, right. That, that, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, and, and I forget about that. I forget how that, how big a deal that is for, for him and his generation. Now I want you to imagine a parent like yourself mm-hmm. who watches their kid being disappointed in this moment. Okay. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes the tendency might be to say like, well, I'm going to buy him a, a new computer or I'm going to buy him a skateboard or whatever it is that the kid would like. Mm-hmm. And they buy it. But that what they don't say is they don't say, you know, I feel helpless right now. I, I There's this thing that you're missing and I wish I could fix it and I just can't. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to buy you the skateboard, but I, I know that's not it, you know, and, and like to articulate, I wish I could fix this for you. And I recognize this loss rather than just going, going oh, you know, get, you'll get over it. Like it's, you know, I, I right. That, <laughs> yeah. that, that, um, I think I'm going to, I'm going to speak for the whole audience right now and just say, uh, I wish that you would just have this conversation with them because <laughs> you're way better at it. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. That would be very useful, I think. And he probably hasn't heard that from me now that I think about it. Yeah. You know, I, I was I was talking with a friend about last night, a couple of friends about um, this mom who who her mother-in-law kept buying, like they're poor. And her mother-in-law keeps buying the kids gifts and clothes. And she took them on a trip to Disney World. And the woman was, um, she said, she, my mother-in-law's always putting me down. She's making me feel stupid. And she was interpreting this generosity as a personal affront. And, and the more you started, we, we were talking about it, I'm going, like, you know what? I think maybe she's just feeling helpless. Like she wishes she could take her kids to Disney World. And she's a little bit jealous that her mother-in-law is able to be the hero who shows up with the, the clothes and, and, and the tickets to Disney World. Right. And you go like, so what should she do in that situation? And the answer is she should probably sit her kids down and say, hey, I just need you to know, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're getting to go to Disney World with grandma. And that's a really nice thing she's doing for you. I have to tell you, I'm a little jealous. I wish I were the one that, I wish I had the job that enabled me to buy you the tickets to Disney World. And it kind of hurts me a little bit. And so if I don't always respond the way I should, it's it's not because I don't want you to go to Disney World or because I don't like grandma. It's just because it's hard. For, this is hard for me because um, I want to be the hero. Yeah. I want to be the hero in your life. And, and and you think how much how much better would things be if people made explicit if they if they stop because I don't think that woman necessarily even knows that that's what's going on with her when she reacts negatively to her mother in law. Right. It takes a little self-awareness you and, sit down. and sometimes some self-work, right, right to, to get to that point. And I, I think like in this moment, one of the things I would say is that there are a lot of people that are feeling uneasy about certain relationships or disappointed or, or upset. And what I would say is like, what if you set aside a half an hour and said, I'm going to, I'm going to think about that relationship. And I'm going to ask a few basic questions. Like, what do I think that person's thinking? What am I thinking? What am I feeling? Is is what I feel 
Like, like, what do I know about the situation? What do I think that other person, does what I feel match that? Or like, where are those feelings coming from? What do I wish would be different? Does that person know I wish it would be different? What would happen if I told them that? You know, what questions do I, like, what things, you know, is it possible yeah, that I'm missing? you're saying, right, because you're, because you're then, then you're saying I'm in it with them. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm part of this with you. I'm feeling the same things that you are. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's really interesting is, is that sometimes if somebody comes to somebody and says, I, I feel so distant from you. I, I, I want to be closer to you and I feel like I, I can't get close to you. And I'm so disappointed in what's happening in our relationship right now. You're like, well, that's very aggressive and, and that'll make the person feel bad. Most people just go like, wait, you want to be close to me? That's, that's very flattering. Like you're saying you, you wish we talked more. You want to spend, you like, you wish our time together was better. Golly, I want that too. Um, and so I think that one, you know, one thing, I don't have any specific advice for like, I'm living with a Christian and she keeps reading Bible verses to me about God's judgment. I don't, you know, like, I don't know what to tell you there. Like, I'm, right. I mean, probably if we sat down and excavated that, I would have an idea for you. Or, mm -hmm. you know, my husband's a prepper and he just keeps talking about how we need more shotguns because, you know, and you go, like, and it's, it's, you know, like, and you go like, well, don't have him listen to Bart and Michael Dowd. Um, but, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we could get into that. But in general, I think there's this general thing where right now a lot of relationships are under pressure. And what I really want to encourage people to do is to sit down and think about what are the questions you really want to ask? What are the, what are the feelings that might be good to express? And you, you say like, well, but I'm not as articulate as you are, Bart. And I go like, okay, then write it down and read it. Stand in front of the person, stand in front of your kid and say, hey, John, I read this. I, re I wrote this for you. John, you are my only son and I, there's nobody more important to me than you. Lately, I feel like we're all on our computers all day and it makes me feel like we're not connecting the way we used to or we should be. I don't really know what to do about it. If you have any ideas, I'm open to them. I just wanted you to know that I really wish we talked more. You go like, that's ridiculous. I mean, the kid would laugh in your face. No, they won't. No, they won't. Mm. No, they won't. People ache for somebody to care enough to go like, wait, you, you wrote that down? And, 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 you, and then you looked it over like what I would say is write it down and then sleep on it and look at the next point. Cause you'll wake up and you're like, Ooh, that the way I said that, that makes it sound like a, that that's a little bit mean. I didn't mean it that way. Like, and you know, make sure that you're saying it in the nicest way you can. And then yeah, go share it. I just think there's a lot of things that are being said right now, but there are a lot of other things that are not being said. And there are a lot of relationships that are struggling right now, but nobody's admitting it's, we're we're struggling and I want it to be better. And 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 here's what I wish. And I, there's incredible value in letting somebody know that you're frustrated with the relationship that you have with them because you want it to be better. Right. And, it, and you say, yeah. that doesn't solve anything. 
And they're like, no, no, no. No, it does. It, it does. It's, it does it's the beginning. It's the beginning. Yeah. Of solving. It, do, it solves a lot even even in just a few a few seconds, I think. Yeah. Um, it doesn't solve everything. It solves a lot though. And yeah, I mean, I, so I think about the last hmm, two, three weeks, four weeks with, with Tyler. And, um, you know, typically I'll just sort of suggest that we do something because the, the mundanity is, that's, that's not a word, is it? The mundaneness? Mundaneness. Yeah. Yes. Mundaneness. <laughs> the mundanity. Mendacity. The yeah. mendacity. Uh, of everything is really, um, I think crushing after a while, especially to a 17 year old who's used to being with his friends and his girlfriend and going here and going there and doing, you know, being very active. And, uh, you know, really there is a lot of screen time right now. I mean, developmentally, yeah, developmentally, this is the time when peers are the most important for his development and he can't get to them. Which is why I'm not limiting the screen time, right? right? Because right. actually that's a very social thing right now. It's, it's where they all hang out. Um, and and even even in the non non pandemic times, that's a a lot of where teens hang out. Um, so you know that that's important. But but typically, I'll say, hey, you want to go for a ride, and we'll get on bikes and go around the park and and that sort of thing. And that feels good. It gets it gets us outdoors and that sort of thing. But it is hard. It's um it's a weird moment. I think that's really helpful, Bart. Well, I hope so. I hope so. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So like we could talk about all sorts of things. We need to stop. Yeah. All right. So we need to stop. But before we go, there are some people who took the time to to give us some feedback and to tell us how they were feeling. Since we're talking about that, there's some people that took the time to do that for us. And I want to thank them by name. So uh, with no further ado, Nathan Draper, Mikala Ron. Nathan S. 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 Lason. S. Lason. Yeah, that's it. Matthew Fairfax in Cambodia. Gosh, thanks, Matthew, for that wonderful letter. Amy Shaw. Justin Sprague. You know, and Justin was one of these people who was like, hey, could you have Roman back? Like, I would just like to get to know him better. All I know about him right now is that he was really mad at you. Um, I thought that was funny. <laughs> Katie Bolton, who I love. Alex Ribchuk. Paul Haft and his friend Caroline Boucher. Caroline shared the show with Paul and he had never listened to a single episode of Humanize Me. He wrote me the loveliest letter. Um, yeah. Josh Strider, our friend. Holly Risch. John Battershell. Um, who, by the way, John Battershell, one of our listeners, um, has been spending this whole coronavirus time going to work and working on um, building bigger and better ventilators out of the factory that he works in um, and, 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 and trying to figure out how to make the most of life by, uh, by creating ventilators. Um, this listener who wrote a lovely letter, didn't sign it, but just said at the end, keep kicking ass. And I've never thought of us as kicking ass. Um, that's not a phrase I would ever, I was like, yeah, we're kicking ass, but I'm glad he thinks so. Charles Hall, Nick Warner, harsh note from Nick Warner. Um, harsh, harsh. And yet Nick Warner is, um, <laughs> was that as harsh as Roman? <laughs> yeah, almost, almost. And, and if you knew Nick, you, you wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Nick's a, a professor at USC and a CERN fellow and a brilliant astrophysicist and, oh, nice. yeah. And so, but can be real hard. He was real hard on me. Um, <laughs> Gloria Devon 
and who, is, who wrote the sweetest, warmest note right after I got Nick's note. It was like they were the perfect, it was like salt and pepper. Um, Randy Hughes, Anna Behrens, Mal Green, New Zealand, John Penland, my dear friend, John and Marilyn Ingle from, uh, originally from Haiti, actually, Richard Staczynski, Dave Carver, J. Craig Lloyd, Ryan Meeks, a guest who listens, Andrea Kirksey, Ted Schwartz, Joseph Carson, Scott, Alex, Ali Tamposi, Tyler Stowers, Stephen Lentz, Miranda Stowers, that's my daughter. <laughs> I tell you what, my family had a field day with that episode. <laughs> I want to know what Miranda thought. John Gokey, Dean McKenzie, Henry Spindler, Sam Blaisdell, Gareth Higgins, old friend from Northern Ireland. Yes. Teresa Diamond, who I quoted actually in this episode. Brandon Weirs, Jerry, Ruby Newman, Wayne Rumsby, who actually goes out of his way every time he writes to tell me about the podcast, says, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I really hate your style. I like you, but I hate your style. Um, and, 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 and I'm like, but every night, and he's like, I hardly ever listen, but I listen to this one and, it, and he flames me. Um, but in the funniest way, he's a, he's a, he's a wonderful human being. Uh, Spencer, Gus Rowe, John Wolforth, Jonathan, Shri Jonathan Shriver. Um, okay, good. Yeah, we got all of those. And then if and we maybe just want to say, uh, you know, there was a pretty active discussion on the Humanize Me Facebook, Facebook group as well. Yeah, and uh, and and everybody on there. Yeah, and and you know, I, I, I'm I'm doing better on 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 Patreon, aren't I? I think so. I've put some messages up there. My my old buddy Shane Claiborne sent me this letter from um, back when I was still doing Christian ministry, and I. He said he had found it in his files and thought, and, and it made him smile. And I looked at it and I thought like, wow, you know what? I sort of still stand by this. It was a, a story about something happened in the neighborhood. And I was like, you know what? This still makes sense to me. And so I posted it. I think it's fun. Um, but yes. I'm trying to do better on Patreon. I like how um, you just say Shane Claiborne, my, my old buddy, you know, but to the world, he's um, a pretty big Christian leader and author. He is indeed. He is indeed. But he's, to me, he's just... Katie Joe's husband, who I that's love. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so, 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 no, this is good. This is good. I, like, and, and the reason we're, I'm reading all those names, and if I missed yours, I'm sorry. And just write me and I'll, I'll say it on the next one if it matters. It probably doesn't. Everyone's like, why are you saying my name? And I'm saying your name because, like, I want you to hear it coming out of my mouth that it meant a ton to me to hear from all these people. And, uh, and we're going to keep trying to do more and better on this show. And I, so John, I have the, I have the next two, uh, cues lined up already. I believe. Do you really? I oh, do. Beautiful. Okay. And so we'll, we'll, we'll get to those really, really soon as well. We will. All right. So this was more, this was kind of like a head clearing. Yeah. You know, okay. Okay. We're, we're, we're okay. And then, moving and then on up. We're, we're moving, we're moving on up. We'll get some, we'll get some new guests. We'll, we'll, we'll keep grooving. All right. Perfect. All right, baby. I'll see you next time on Humanize Me. 
For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to patreon.com slash humanize me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. You could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. You could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can live for you ever wanted.